Although Fidelity is a financial services business, tech and digital is at the heart of everything that we do. In fact, the word digital describes the intersection of all our raw technological capabilities and their application to our clients, including websites, apps, and other ways in which we interact and do business. So in this episode of the Young Money Podcast, I speak to Ian Hood, Fidelity's Head of Digital for the UK, and Maddie Debney, a former graduate and now a rising star on the FinTech Solutions team. We debate whether the term disruption is overused and discuss whether knowing how to code is essential for success in the modern job market. Then we consider why a technology graduate would want to work in financial services instead of at Google. Without further ado, my conversation with Ian Hood and Maddie Debney. You're listening to the Young Money Podcast. I'm Cameron Ho, and I'm joined in the studio today by Ian Hood, our head of digital here in the UK, and Maddie Debney, former graduate and now manager in the fintech team. Welcome. Hi, Thank Cameron. You. Hi. So you both used to work together, so why don't I get you to introduce each other? Ian, why don't you kick us off and tell us about Maddie? Maddie works in the fintech solutions, uh, part of the business for Derek Chan. She used to work in digital. She's been about five years, came in on the graduate program and is a super talented, cool kid. Oh, thanks, Ian. Uh, this is Ian Hood, part of the Digitorati, tanning extraordinaire. Uh, he's been in Fidelity leading the UK digital team for two to three years and has had a really interesting career uh, leading digital in financial services prior to that. Great, thank you, and welcome to the show. Why don't we start off by talking about Ian? You're obviously very involved in the digital world, early adopters, interested in this space, but is there anything about you that people might say is surprisingly analog? So some of my favorite gadgets at home. So my most latest purchase is um, the Ring Doorbell. What is the Ring Doorbell? So the Ring Doorbell is a Wi-Fi connected um, doorbell um, with a camera. So whenever anyone comes to the door yeah. or leaves the house, I, you know, it records, it records them and okay. plays a little jingle on your phone and you can see it either real time or you can play it back. Okay. So I'd be like, oh, that's my wife going out. And, you know, like I've got loads of time to sit there and do this all day at work. <laughs> I think when I look at my friends and I, our behaviour, it's, it's a bit of a paradox. For me, like, the idea of waiting three days for delivery is a bizarre concept. Okay, I just wouldn't be able to do that because if I knew what I'm doing on a Saturday on a Thursday night, I'll go on ASOS and buy something to wear for it. Like, and that's just how I live. And I, I just couldn't not have that immediacy. And I'd rather not have it than have to wait for it for, like, three days. Yeah. But at the same time, my friends and I often we leave our phones in a different room on purpose because we want to get away from it. I've definitely seen we all like to do way more outdoorsy things than we used to, really? which I think is part of the realness and experiencing something else. But then at the same time, Vodafone's just allowed free data roaming in Europe and it's literally like a revolutionary thing. I'm like, a holiday I went to Greece a few months ago. So you're no longer disconnected while on holiday? No, it's so amazing. I could do everything I wanted to do. And I even used more data than normal. I went over my data when I never normally go over my data. Okay. So... It's, it's strange. And again, I think it comes back to our behaviours have changed. Sometimes we want to disconnect from technology, um, but the behaviours that technology have driven are still there. Going back to cyber, does what you see in the news with not only the crash of, of early autonomous cars, but hacking scandals, does that worry you about the way that we look at cybersecurity as a company? 
I think most people in most organisations who have an appreciation of hacking and cybersecurity or have experienced it in their own personal life yeah. are, to a greater or lesser extent, worried about it. And I think, you know, anyway, you know, even if it's just, do you have in the back of your mind that you, you know, your own personal information could be stolen, um, credit cards, etc., cloned? I think everyone has in the back of their mind, especially if it's happened to them once before. Now, let's talk about disruption. What do you think of the word, first of all? Do you think it's, it's overused? In the circles I'm mixing, it's probably overused. Okay. I don't know if it's necessarily overused if you were asking somebody else in this seat who worked in a different sector or a different um, field. They might not say that, but yeah. yeah. Whether it's conferences, whether it's blogs online, here, in, in, in the circles I mix. Um, so that's tech, you know, marketing, right. product. Then it's used quite a lot. A bit like uh, another overused phrase, agile. <laughs> yeah, I mean, disrupted by definition can't be what everybody does, right? It's got to be like a, a few people. And it's definitely overused, it's the buzzword. Um, and also, maybe you don't need to be a disruptor. Maybe you just need to provide a great customer service, you need to do things really well, you need to pick what's important to you. Yeah. I don't think it needs to be the goal of everybody. All they need to do is make sure that their customers are going better service than anywhere else. Yeah, well, that's a good point, because what I was going to ask was, you look at all of the quote-unquote disruptors coming out of Silicon Valley, startups in a garage that can scale their business really quickly and IPO and make millions just with a bunch of teenagers and hoodies hunched over laptops on beanbags. How do we, as a mature financial services firm, avoid being disrupted or, or displaced by these sorts of upstarts? I think, firstly, like a lot of those disruptors are, if you're disrupting the dry cleaning business, providing delivery of shirts, is that, is that true disrupting? Not really, it's, it's nice, but it's not changing the world, it's not necessarily helping people. But financial services, we do have the power to directly help people, maybe not to change the world, but at least enable change to happen. And we need to recognise that and help people feel connected with that. Right. connected with the idea that they can invest in funds that will help people and that it is a serious amount of money and yeah. is that more disruptive than delivery yeah that can help a lot more people i guess one of the potential drawbacks of the digital world is how you lose that face-to-face -face interaction not only in your social life but maybe in, in the professional world as well how do we use technology to continue to maintain those deep relationships with customers? I think there's always a place in most businesses, um, I say most because you know, Amazon, not, not necessarily much of a place for face-to-face um, -face or human contact, although they do have a, you know, a pretty good yeah. kind of chat and, and phone support. But you know, for a lot of, um, a lot of businesses, face-to-face -face and personal contact is still a big part of the engagement model. Yeah, it comes down to knowing your customer. If you look at a banking case, the idea of, for me, the idea of talking to somebody to do with my banking is just a real bore. I would never want to do that. I want to do it all on my app. But I know for my mother, like, she would, she literally can't do it, even know what an app is. Like, it wouldn't work. So you've got to know who your customers are and you've got to cater a multi-platform solution for them. It's funny, though, how quickly people trust a startup. Mm -hmm. I'd say majority of my friends now have Monzo as their bank, right. which is so new. It doesn't have this pedigree and this history that all the UK banks have, yet they trust it more. I think that might be because for them, their trust is illustrated, or what they should trust is illustrated by the digital experience. They have an incredible app. Mm -hmm. 
-hmm. It provides notifications in the way they want, when they want. Yeah. And they're like, well, this is great. Obviously, I'm going to trust it. Whereas if they go to one of the old banking apps and it's just a bit bad, that to them is their interaction True. with the brand. You're it's, a right. it's a representation right. of the quality. If you have a great experience, even though it's a digital experience, right. and you are, you know, and you are a certain early adopter demographic, that that trust is as equal to going into a branch for a, for a different demographic who likes the physical presence. The trust is as equal with a great experience, right. which is quite interesting because actually, providing you've got good skills, you can create quite you know a good user experience relatively easily with the right skills. You can't create a you know a physical <laughs> branch particularly easily. Right. So it's actually quite easy if you know what you're doing to build loyalty through a great online user experience, even if nobody's ever heard of you. And so convenience is the way to win the hearts and minds of the next generation of users. Then, yeah, I, I think it, I think it is. Um, interestingly, I this is all about um, this 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 sort of teaches about research because in some cases I've seen companies put latency into a process to make. Latency, user, as in as in delay. Okay. Um, to make the user feel that there's some sophisticated stuff going <laughs> on. Seriously, so that's crazy. A classic one was car insurance, commoditized online, mm -hmm. etc. I've worked for companies with long, you know, long questionnaires in advance yeah. of the price, and ones with really short ones. Yeah. And you think, wouldn't you, if you did do your research, mm -hmm. that you know, a short, slick, quick process to a quote right. would be the thing yes. that would, you know, would be the way to go. But what we found was that there's a loads and loads of feedback from um, from clients saying there's not enough questions here. How can you give me an accurate quote? I'm suspicious. Right. And part of that is because they're used to putting lots of questions in, but that's still a consideration. Why don't we go on to coding literacy? I think a lot of really anxious parents these days want their kids to learn two things, primarily um, being Mandarin and coding. Is there a place for coding to be taught in schools? And do you think it's something that all children of the next generation should be taught? I think it's useful to be taught it. It teaches you logic. It's very detailed. Regardless of the knowledge, the skill set it develops is fantastic. And it's good to have knowledge in that because later on, ultimately, most stuff will connect with code. Um, but I think people massively underestimate what it takes to be a coder, a software developer. Okay. So I have friends that studied maths, further maths at university, did well have been software developers for five years and now are having to go and do masters because they are simply not good enough to get jobs wow. in software development. So the idea that you go to General Assembly and do a month course in coding mm -hmm. and you've transformed your life and you're now a coder yeah. is, is kind of, it's not really a fair representation of what it's like. Mm -hmm. So although it's great to be a developer, I think it's better to have an appreciation for that so right. you can interact with it and you can understand and you can empathize with that, mm -hmm. but you don't necessarily have to do it yourself. Do you think the barriers to entry in, in building a basic app have gone up over the years? Because Facebook was created in a dorm room and it was, it, was, it was a hit, but if you coded something crude nowadays, would it take off in the same way? I think the barriers to coding have probably gone down because you can build a website in 30 minutes with absolutely no software experience at all on yeah. sites like Squarespace and Wix. Right. But what has gone up is there's now so many things out there. Hitting yeah. on a good idea yeah. is really hard because already it's a diversified, diluted market. Ian, million dollar question. Why would a young person want to work in technology or digital in financial services rather than in Silicon Valley? Financial services has um, a need for a lot of improvement and change when it comes to digital. And I quite like that. I quite like the sort of making our clients' lives richer 
and easier and our business more efficient and effective by having a big agenda of things that need that are exciting and transformational to change. If you want to be something a bit more unique in an organization, there's less there's less of you. There's more transformative stuff to do that makes a bigger impact immediately. There's plenty of ambition and need to change, lots of investment with a little bit, you know, of innovation thrown on top. That's the way to go for me. So it really is, you know, there's no right or wrong. Two very different worlds. Two different worlds and I would say potentially different wants, needs and personalities that would want to go into to one or the other. And then you can decide what type of industry or sector you want to get into. I think as well with financial services is that companies like Fidelity have the power to have such a positive impact on so many people. Right. And the idea of being part of that mm-hmm. and that you can make the world a better place through improving the experience and more people save is really powerful. So although it might not be you know, as cool and funky on the exterior as Google seems, it's just as important, if not more, and it's potentially more exciting. Great. Thank you. Cool. Thank, Thank you very you, much. Cameron. Please be aware the value of investments and the income from them can go down as well as up, so you may not get back what you invest. This information does not constitute investment advice and should not be used as a basis for any investment decision, nor should it be treated as a recommendation for any investment. Investors should also note that the views expressed may no longer be current and may have already been acted upon. Fidelity Personal Investing does not give personal recommendations. If you're unsure about the suitability of an investment, you should speak to an authorized financial advisor. This podcast may not be reproduced or circulated without prior permission. It is meant for UK residents and does not constitute an offer or solicitation in any jurisdiction in which it may be unlawful to make such an offer or solicitation. No statements or representations made in this podcast are legally binding on Fidelity or the recipient. Issued by Financial Administration Services Limited, authorised and regulated in the UK by the Financial Conduct Authority. Fidelity, Fidelity International, the Fidelity International logo and F-Symbol are trademarks of Phil Limited. <laughs>